And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Yes, this is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United with me, Ian Irving. Coming up today, we'll reflect on what was a well, fairly eventful transfer window in the end for Manchester United. And we also need to answer some of your questions because we've got a mailbag that's bulging like Ronaldo's pectoral muscles in Faro. We'll also talk about some of the Manchester United articles on The Athletic this week as well. Right, Carl's on holiday this week, but alongside me on this podcast, we have The Athletic's Laurie Whitwell. Hello, Laurie. Hi, Ian. You okay, mate? Very good, thank you. Are you glad the transfer window's at an end? I'm ecstatic. Um, listen, it's really good for business, isn't it? People want to read about transfer stories and um, who United are going to sign, but as a journalist, it can be quite stressful. Kind of really can't switch off. It's quite nice that actually we can have a little bit of a gap now before January window starts up again. Well, don't rest up too much because I think there may be some questions coming your way in the <laughs> mailbag in a little while. So, sure. yep, we can't escape it completely. And uh, with Laurie this week and me as well, of course, is Andy Mitten, editor of United We Stand and athletic contributor as well. And Andy, you've got an exciting week ahead, I believe. Well, it depends how you see exciting. I'm going to try and cycle from <laughs> from Land's End to, to John O'Groats, um, setting off at, at daybreak Saturday morning and spending the next nine days doing 110 miles and an average of two or 3,000 metres wow. climbing each day. So, yeah, um, I'm up for it. I mean... Don't know what the weather's going to be like. I'm just going to give it give it my best shot. I'm going to try and raise a few quid for um for charities. Um, going to do it with Manchester United's foundation. The club have been good enough to give me a match worn shirt from the Leeds game from one of the big players, and the money will go into educating kids in Greater Manchester to use defibrillators, first aid. They'll all get a book each. So I'm just going to do as much as I can for that. It, it came out of what happened in the summer with Christian Eriksen and them. Um, I got back to Manchester and uh, I met a lad called Astley Mulholland, who's a semi-pro player from Wivenshaw. And his brother Kyle had, had, um, had died. His heart had stopped while playing football. And I just had a chat with him and he's been trying to raise the profile of, of um, defibrillators for a long time. So that, that, that just made my mind in it. So yeah, and hopefully I can raise a few quid and every single penny will go to the right place. I'm paying all my own costs, so not a penny will be wasted. Even if someone's got a pound to give to it, it will not be wasted fantastic so look out then for that announcement from Andy on Friday if you want to support him in what is an extremely worthy cause I'm sure you'll agree okay let's move on with the podcast then like we said before we've got lots of questions from subscribers to The Athletic this week we're going to get through as many of those as we can during this international break but he's been at it again hasn't he Cristiano Ronaldo Guedes trying to find a way past McLean and he has Ronaldo's header and he has done it he just has the man who has an addiction to headline making has now become the global goal scoring supremo his 110th in 
international goal more than any other man. Matinho. Jean Mario pulls it across. It's cleared by Hendrik. And Ronaldo is there again! Would you believe it? That is why he is a legend! He refused to be downcast after the penalty miss. He strikes once to get the international scoring record outright, but that is not enough for him. He has to do things with panache, and he comes up with an injury time winner. So if you didn't see it, it was Ronaldo in full drama in a Portugal shirt, breaking the international record of the most goals scored by a senior men's footballer. Absolutely incredible. Two late headers to see off Ireland after, of course, Missing an early penalty, the opposition kicking the ball off the spot before he got a chance to take it. He then slapped O'Shea. <laughs> I think he had it all in there, really, didn't it? Um, Ronaldo's back, Laurie, isn't he? I think that just shows that Manchester United are still getting a player who can do pretty incredible things. Yeah, the two goals, you know, what was it, 89th minute and then 95th, 96th in a match that had consequence. You know, it was a World Cup qualifier, it wasn't a friendly. Portugal were losing the game and then he managed to turn it on its head. He bends matches to his will when he tries like that. Um, and also the, the way he scores the goals, you know, the the headers, you know, that is something that certainly Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been crying out for, hasn't he? A player that is willing to break his nose to score a goal. I don't think he broke anything, but he certainly showed extreme determination to get on the end of those crosses. He had to run to, to meet them, basically. You know, that, that second one in particular, the way he moves onto the ball sort of catches the Irish defenders by surprise and, and obviously manages to get the, his forehead onto it and, and puts it in the corner. Uh, yeah, and then the shirt comes off. The abs come out and you're sort of thinking, yeah, I don't think that guy needed a medical really, did he? You just look at the guy. There's sort of questions about whether he's got the physicality still at 36 to survive in the Premier League, sort of melted away as <laughs> that shirt came off, didn't yeah. he? Um, the, other, the other factor within that, Andy, actually, it was quite an important shirt off moment, wasn't it? In terms of him missing the Azerbaijan game next, that's a benefit for United, isn't it? Yeah, well, Laurie and I both went to Azerbaijan during the Euros and it, it was warm and sunny, but it is a long, long way away. It, it really takes it out of you. It's in a completely different... Uh, time zone and not as far as Kazakhstan where Manchester United played uh, a couple of years ago but yeah it, it will definitely benefit Manchester United and I think as Laurie says we've seen United are still getting the real deal he can still do it and Reds are just waiting for him to start doing it uh, in, a, in a Manchester United shirt there's still considerable excitement about the fact that that he is signed for United because if we were talking a week ago, we, he still hadn't signed. So there's still a buzz around that. Yeah, Andy, I, I suppose as well, it just means Manchester United fans know now that the next time they see Cristiano Ronaldo on a football pitch, it's likely to be in a Manchester United shirt against Newcastle. And it's a 3pm kickoff. So people in, in England are not going to be able to see that game live. What a disaster. Yeah, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. I know match going fans who say, good the people who are in the ground should, <laughs> can should be rewarded by that. But <laughs> clearly it's not good if the only people who, who, who can't see it on a screen are people in the UK because you can watch the vast majority of the Premier League matches all around the world. And I'm sure that people will have access to watch the game as they see fit uh, to do so. There's, there'll be huge, huge interest in it and that Manchester United thrive in such circumstances and hopefully he can deliver. And games against Newcastle are, are always pretty entertaining, really entertaining, because Newcastle, who always seem to be in a sort of um, perilous position, 
tend to play quite well at Old Trafford, take the lead and then lose. So uh, I think, you know, it's, it, a Saturday 3pm kickoff is a rarity. I'm glad that they still exist. And there'll just be a huge amount of anticipation. Be interesting to see what side Oli Gunnar is, goes with. I know he had another uh, friendly game behind closed doors this week. Stoke came to Old Trafford. Stoke won. And there was a chance for... For, for players, it's not really been reported this game, but if you want, I'll I'll tell you the team. I, I was told by someone who absolutely knows that Juan Mata was outstanding and that United should have been eight free up at half time. Uh, well in scored with a, a good a good volley. And then of the players who who played there, Heaton, Jones, Mengi, Delot, Matic, um Donny, Donny played at Old Trafford. Uh, Cavani, Hannibal, <laughs> Mata, man of the match, uh, Greenwood, and Alvaro, the fullback, who also played. So there you go. Manchester United three, Stoke City four. Let's get back to Ronaldo. You mentioned before about Newcastle and it being interesting games. The last time Cristiano Ronaldo played Newcastle at Old Trafford, he scored his first ever career hat trick. Since then, He's scored 56 of them, Laurie. It's staggering numbers, aren't they? Um, yeah, and I, I mean, that I remember 56. that. 56. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It, the, the numbers that he produces are mind-boggling and, you know, they will never 56. be... 56. They will never be... What, how many? How many was it? <laughs> 56. <laughs> uh, it's, it's staggering, isn't it? I mean, um, and I, I remember back, back when it, that was... If the first one was happening, it wasn't like prolific, was he? It, you know, it took a couple of seasons for him to kind of really click into gear, um, and then obviously that two thousand six seven season just you know, took took to another level, and then it, you know it took continued from there, and you know he scored twenty goals at least you know each season for like the last what is it twelve thirteen seasons, including in you know Serie A for Juventus. So y- y- this is a guy that isn't necessarily you know he's not on the wane. You know he's kind of. He's, he's still hitting those heights. Yeah, fine. He's not scoring 60 goals a season, but he's still scoring a lot of goals. So, and the, the two goals that he scored for Portugal this week, you think, right, yeah, he could certainly do that in the Premier League. The style of the goals, you know, um, sort of gives you that indication. You mentioned about the three o'clock kickoff. I do think that will actually make the atmosphere in Old Trafford that bit more um, exciting. You know, people will will realise that they're part of a sort of special occasion uh, for Manchester United and the fact that there aren't going to be people in the UK watching at home. Um, it's a bit of a an old rule, I suppose, that dates back to the 60s, this sort of three o'clock kickoff, and it's it's there to protect club support in the ground, not only for the likes of Manchester United, but also the kind of smaller clubs around, you know, so maybe Salford or, you know, further afield, Accrington Stanley, for example. Um, so I'm actually doing a little bit of research on that, that whole sort of 3pm blackout rule. Um, so that there'll be a piece up on the weekend about that. So speaking to a few people, broadcasters, directors at clubs, it, there's, there's a different array of sort of opinions and, and reasons for why it's happening. Um, and there's some people that think it should be done away with, you know, they, they, there's people that think they should be allowed to show matches at that time. Um, so instances like this don't sort of pass by, but I'm sure people who can't get to the games will have enough opportunity to watch Cristiano Ronaldo in a Manchester United shirt on TV. It'll only be a matter of time. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about that, certainly. If you want to find out more then about Ronaldo's record-breaking night in Faro, Tom Warville's written a great piece on The Athletic. It's titled The Record-Breaking Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest men's international scorer of all time and details just how he's got to 111 international goals and how he's overtaken Ali Daye, the Iranian international who had the record before and how far he's off the women's record as well. I'll give you a clue. 
quite a way, unfortunately. Even Ronaldo might not be able to reach that. Andy, will he start against Newcastle? Will he be breaking records for United sometime soon? I think he will be starting. Pointless buying him if he's not. I think Oli's style has been to gently integrate. We saw that with Varane. We saw that with Sancho. He may just be bold and say, right, go for it. No ifs or buts. Not only do we need to win, as United have, did against Wolves, but need to convince as well, as the team didn't against Wolves or Southampton. I also think that Ronaldo will have a say as well. He's almost a bigger personality than his boss. And if he's saying, I want to play, I'm ready for it, I think Oli as a human is going to have to listen to that. But who'd you drop? Dan James, who started at Wolves, uh, give, give, gives um, an option. Um, you can, don't think you can drop Greenwood because he scores every time he plays at the moment. And so, I don't know. What do you think, Laurie? Do you think he'll start? I, I would I would say yes. I would say yes, just after, particularly after the fact that he's going to miss that Azerbaijan game for, for Portugal. So, um, and, and we see that he wants to play all the time. You know, it's, it's a slightly different situation to Cavani. And I'm not saying Cavani doesn't want to play all the time, but he's, he's very particular with his fitness. Um, you know, we touched on it in a piece that we wrote um, about Cavani potentially going to Uruguay and then the kind of change of heart that he had over that situation. And the fact that the Southampton game, I think the idea was that he was going to be ready perhaps for the bench and, and there was some discussion and then he had his final training session and said, actually, no, I'm not, not right here. So Solskjaer will listen to his players. So as you say, on the flip side, if Ronaldo's saying, I want to play, I'm keen for it, he'll take that on board and then, you know, perhaps he will go, actually, this guy is chomping at the bit. Let's let's not, you know, restrain him. Let's let's sort of send him out there firing. Um, so I, I do, I think he will start. I mean, Solskjaer was pretty strong after the Wolves game saying he's not, been signed to sit on the bench I feel like that it would be a good moment for everybody United if, if he started listen he can perhaps come off if you know they've got a good lead and he can get you know a round of applause from the fans um, you know I'm sure that would be sort of in their mind as well but it's, it's you know it's an interesting one for Solskjaer now to deal with as you say Ronaldo is a big personality you know he will have his own mind on these things and that dynamic will be kind of intriguing to observe um, but at least now, you know, he's got options on the bench to change games, to affect games, because that's certainly something that before now he's perhaps felt he hasn't had. Yeah, I feel like starting Ronaldo might give United a, a bigger boost than bringing him off the bench as well. Um, it, it sort of feels like, Andy, that the impact of him walking out in the starting lineup at Old Trafford would be greater than anything, really. It will. And we saw the reaction when Varane walked on the field that, that unorchestrated, here we go, get onto the pitch. And if there's a sense of uncertainty, then it adds into that. And I know a few people were actually caught out by the Varane announcement and weren't happy about that. Again, good, get in the ground. And uh, the only excuse <laughs> of, not, of not getting in the ground is if you're selling the fanzines outside, otherwise you're going to get in big, big... Listen to your uncle big, Andy. Big, big, big trouble. Um, so I, 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 I agree, get him out there, start the game and take the impetus that the crowd's going to give. The demand for tickets is huge, but just reward the people who've, who are season ticket holders who, who've supported the team through thick and thin. And another occasion, and Manchester United does big occasions. It did it when Ronaldo came back in 13 with Real Madrid. It was incredible. And I remember Alan Keegan pausing as he read the Real Madrid team out for effect. And Cristiano had a massive welcome that night. And then United fans, quite rightly, didn't mention him at all for the rest of the night because he wanted to see the team go through. That didn't happen. Nanny got sent off. You may have heard about it. But he's back now. He's a Manchester United player. 
and that 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 feels good. I still think, as I've said several times, that that he can do it. And I also know a few Newcastle fans who are like, oh no, oh no. But fo- football can catch people out. It really can. We've seen it. But Manchester United got to make sure it doesn't happen against the Geordies. Okay, we'll have more Ronaldo chat on next week's Talk of the Devils. Both podcasts, I'm sure, will be packed with Ronaldo chat, but we need to get to the mailbag. Right, as we know, the transfer window is shut, so we thought we'd take a look at United's business and answer some subscriber questions as well, because my goodness, there was a lot of questions about transfers and related issues too. So Andy, we'll start with Mohamed actually. So he says it might be too early to ask this, but is this the sort of transfer window that we can now expect from Manchester United? He wants this buzz every year now. Um, I don't think we can sign Ronaldo every time, but um, he's sort of saying is significant signings now the way forward for Manchester United in future windows, or is this a one-off for you? I think it's balanced, and depending on the, the season and as it is, I think it's the manager's job to bring in experience or youth or promote within individual positions. Look, if he sees that a young player, I don't know, in two years, James Garner is ready to go into the central midfield, then he's not going to be looking for a central midfielder. If he doesn't think that's the case, then that becomes more urgent need. So I don't think there's a a sweeping policy where Manchester United say, now we're only going to go for statement signings. United tried that too much with with Louis van Gaal during his, his great talent perch. And, and that didn't really work out. So a good manager should see um, players who will continue to strengthen Manchester United and the results and winning and getting trophies, that's the be-all and end-all. I know fans get really excited with every new signing. I know fans continually want new signings. I know that some fans will never, ever be happy and always demand more signings, not just at United, but at every football club. You've got to sometimes caution against that I've saw what happened at Barcelona and it just got completely mental with this constant demand for more, 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 getting rid of a manager for the crime of only winning the league two seasons on the trot. And there needs to be sensible figures within a a football club. United, I think the transfer window has been a very good one. They've spent a, a lot of money in these challenged COVID times. And there's a few people now saying, well, I've got all my hands up there. I didn't think that was going to happen. But they'll be back straight in the next transfer window. Why aren't we signing him, him, him and him? Got to be a balance. <laughs> and United still need to move some players on. There's still two, The squad is still top heavy with players on big money who are, who are unlikely to be, be featuring um, prominently. And maybe that was a good move, moving Dan James on for decent money. So I don't think in answer to the question there's going to be a sweeping change where Manchester United only only go for Galacticos, if you like. You mentioned Dan James there. I thought it was intriguing that he was the fourth most expensive player that Manchester United had ever sold. I think you told me that, Laurie. Yeah, I hope it's right then. Um, it, yeah, that's... Well, I've repeated it now. It must be. <laughs> it must be. Let's keep saying it. No, I did check it out. And it, yeah, it's... You know, you look at Lukaku, you look at Angel de Maria, um, and, and yeah, Dan James, 25 million. It's, it's rare that United sell for more than 20 million. I think it, it's only seven players that they sold for more than 20 million, which when you're a club of United stature, you, you think that's that's quite amazing, really. I mean, I know it's difficult at times because players are on big wages and and some clubs think, well, you know, you, you're Manchester United, you've got loads of money, why should we give you more money? But but usually you're able to um, say to those clubs that might be buying them, well, this is a guy that's, you know, well-versed in a you know, elite club mentality and therefore he will improve your squad. So, you know, he's worth that money that we're we're putting on him. So it's an amazing stat, really. But at least, you know, that shows that, you know, he can, United can, you know, 
have a business of football where they sign players for you know lower fee, you know, improve them and then, and then sell them on for a profit. You know, Chelsea have done that expertly, really, um, which is why they're able to kind of top up um, their signings, um, you know, each window. I know, obviously, Roman Avramovich's money has been the main instigator for... It's um, helped, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, not, let's not hide that fact. But equally, they, they do have a pretty good system for selling players for for decent amount of money and, and, you know, then reinvesting that. So United, that's, you know, one sign that perhaps they can start doing that, you know, to a better degree. Um, And yeah, the question about whether Dan James would get a, um, a good welcome on his return. Yeah. I think he'll get a warm sort of round of applause, even though he's a Leeds player now I'm sure there'll be some, um, some jibes, you know, uh, in a kind of tongue in cheek way from the stands about the fact that he's gone over to, um, you know, a club that United fans, you know, perhaps have a, a long-standing loathing of. But um, I think generally people will sort of think back with fondness on on his time at United. You know, he probably wasn't the, the exact quality that United needed, but equally he always put himself about. He always tried hard and, and he scored some important goals for United. So I think he'll get a, a decent round of applause. Yeah, this was Colin's question. How do you think Dan James will be treated on his return to Old Trafford? I think you're right. I think he'll get a, a polite ovation, won't he, yeah. uh, from the crowd. Uh, the last sort of player I remember doing this at a time where maybe it was perhaps a bit more controversial to make the journey down the M62 motorway was Lee Sharp. Andy, what what was Lee Sharp's welcome back to Old Trafford like? It was all right. I remember um, as a young journalist interviewing Fergie for United We Stand and then he went off the record with me and I couldn't really understand why. And he basically said, we got far more than we expected for Lee Sharp. And I thought, oh, that, that's that's a bit that's a bit cutting because United got four and a half million for him, and I think Fergie felt that he was finished as a as a top top level player. Uh, Lee stayed in Leeds; he still lives in Leeds. Um, he's got conflicted views about his time at, at United. I remember him very very fondly. But he was a great player when he came through. I thought he was a really cool lad. He dressed well. He was into decent music. You'd see him around Manchester. And that's enough for me. It cost 60,000 quid from Torquay United and scored some absolutely brilliant goals. He, he was a success. But uh, by the time he'd gone, several years later, the relationship had definitely soured. Lee has got his point of view on it. Fergie had his point of view. They don't agree. Fair enough. People are allowed to disagree. So Alex Ferguson doesn't have the only view in history. And I think that Lee Sharp, will be remembered um, very well by the vast majority of um, United fans. And his argument is, um, went to leave, gave it, Leeds gave him the best shot, uh, loved the city, stayed living there. Was he ever truly happy? I remember him telling me something really surprising. My happiest playing football was at Portsmouth. I was given a free role. And most people don't even ever remember that Lee Sharp played for Portsmouth. So you know, Lee's a deep thinker, but... I've done quite a few things with him in recent years. He's he's a good lad, and um, my brother he was his, he's my brother's hero. So I had to say to Lee a few years ago, look, my brother don't normally do this, and he actually got paid to play football himself. But he absolutely buzzed off you. Can he have a picture with you? Yeah, no, 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 no problem. He said in uh, a Hales Owen accent, which I'm not going to try and um, reproduce. Yeah, he's a likeable character, Lee, certainly. Laurie, I imagine he was popular with you with that Sharpie shuffle too. I can see you mm-hmm. pulling that off from time to time. Um, right, let's talk about some more of these questions then. Simon, um, Laurie, you can answer this one. Will Ollie regret allowing Chelsea to sign Saul Niguez? I don't know if it's a case of Ollie allowing Chelsea to sign Saul Niguez. I think it was, you know, overall a club decision in terms of 
the finances involved in the deal. It's only a loan move. So I sort of thought actually that would open up a, a window for them. But, you know, £5 million loan fee was sort of led to believe, plus wages at Atletico Madrid were £200,000 a week. So United had to sort of factor all that in set against the amount of games he would play you know was he definitely going to go in and be a part of United's midfield week after week Solskjaer you know has his fondness for Fred you know I'm sure we'll get on to the Fred debate um, you know he had a bad game against Wolves but you know he has performed in good moments previously and Solskjaer has sort of relied on him so and then you've got Scott McTominay's injury, the the surgery, and, and would that see, see him out for a long time, you know, a month probably, um, they're hoping for in total. So, you know, they're hoping to have him back sooner rather than later. So, you know, I think United as a club kind of looked at that and went, you know, is that one we, we definitely want to pursue? He was, it was never actually part of the plan for United to sign a defensive midfielder this summer or as a top priority rather. Um, you know, they looked at Jaden Sancho. They thought the right wing was somewhere that needed solving. Rafael Varane, centre-back, another issue that they wanted to upgrade on. And I think everybody can agree that they were two priorities. And so, you know, perhaps United have longer-term um, prospects of, of stunting that position and, and Sal Niguez would, would have only been a stopgap. Um, he's obviously someone that they've looked at for a long, long time previously and, and for sure... The fact that he's gone to Chelsea shows that the move was there to be done. And we'll see, you know, um, United missed out on Thiago um, to, to Liverpool. Well, when I say missed out, you know, it was another one where I think fans were looking at and going, why aren't United in for Thiago? He went to Liverpool and had an OK season with Liverpool. It wasn't like, you know, he, he tore up any trees. So let's see how it goes with Sal Niguez. And I suppose we can perhaps, you can come back to me on this one and, and, and say that I was wrong, you know, for saying that it's not the end of the world that United didn't get him. But I think it was more of a club decision rather than necessarily Solskjaer. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Andy, Paul's asking about Jesse Lingard. Um Really interesting because it looked for all the world like he'd leave this summer and he's ended up staying. So he's sort of saying, was Lingard happy with the valuation that United placed on him? But I think more pertinently, do you think Lingard's happy to stay? I think it is interesting. As you say, he proved himself as a top Premier League player and it'd only take a couple of injuries for people to suddenly be saying we should have kept Jesse Lingard. So while we're in this post-Ronaldo buzz of everything's absolutely fantastic, that might change. And I think Jesse is, is really liked by Oli. I think Oli said to one of us in one of his press conferences that he, he definitely would have started at the start of the season if he'd not been, been ill. And if he scores the sort of goals that he scored for West Ham, then that'll be great. At the moment, you can't see how he's getting in the starting eleven. But then look at United's Champions League. You like to think when United are playing Burn at home, look at the League Cup games, the FA Cup games. I'm not just shunting Jesse Lingard out there to being a player who, who starts six matches a season, but he might start 19 matches a season. And United have lost players who were getting minutes. So I don't know how it'll, it'll stack up. I, I do know that a couple of years ago, Chris Smalling went to Ollie and went, how many games am I going to be getting this year? And Ollie went 25. And Chris said, I want 35. And they shook hands and that was that. I don't know if Jesse's had the same conversation. I suspect he'd want some clarity. I suspect he's confident, he's very close to some of the other players. He, he has got a United um, contract, players sign contracts for a reason. And then if it's not working out, there is a loan system where he could go to West Ham again or wherever. That's why loan systems um, exist. What do you think, Laurie? I think it was more, you know, Paul's questions are fair enough. You know, I think the price that United were looking at was maybe £30 million. And I mean, they got one and a half million 
um, as a loan fee for him that raised to two million when West Ham made it into Europe, and, and that was just for a six month loan. So you know you can sort of see where they're pitching things with with thirty million for Lingard, particularly with the price they got for Dan James and Lingard's an England international. You know went to the twenty eighteen World Cup and has as you say, scored a lot of goals for West Ham on loan last season. So, um, yeah, I think that price is sort of fair enough, really. But more than that, it, Lingard, I think, wanted to stay. As you said there, I don't know what conversations have gone on behind closed doors with Solskjaer particularly, but I'm, I'm led to believe that he was, he, he loves Manchester United. You know, he's come through the academy system and if he could give it one more go to stay at United, having come off the back of a, a positive loan spell away, then he was he was going to do everything in his power to, to to try and achieve that. So I think as well as United perhaps putting a, a pretty high price on him, I think he also was quite happy to, to stay around and we'll see. He's got a year left on his contract. I wonder if there'll be some talks um, on that some stage soon um, because yeah, United probably wouldn't want to lose him for nothing, but equally... It's, it's that balance, isn't it? They've given out contracts before to players who um, haven't then, you know, progressed much and, and it's looked like a, a mistake to give them an extended contract. So it's an interesting one to see. One thing that stuck with me, Laurie, about uh, Jesse Lingard was was all the social media posts about Ronaldo. Um, yeah. And you sort of get this impression that a lad who's grown up at the club, who was there as a, a young kid when Ronaldo was in the first team, first time around, looked up to him. There's some brilliant pictures yeah. of a very young Jesse Lingard, very small, looking up to Ronaldo and this sense that if he had left, I reckon he would have been pretty gutted not to play with Ronaldo, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, that picture's brilliant, isn't it? The one that he posted where he's looking about, I mean, I don't know what age he actually is, but he, he looks so young, you know. He's Probably like, older than he looks, yeah, I, I think imagine. So. Because there's that brilliant picture, isn't it, when he's like in the under-16s and he looks about 10 and the shirt's too big for him. <laughs> uh, and so, but yeah. it's, it's, it's great. I'd sort of forgotten that, that he would have been around at that time um, with, with Ronaldo and, you know, the, 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 the noodle as he was, called back then with his um, sort of, you know, um, straggly hair and his blonde highlights looking pretty skinny. But yeah, Lingard was looking even skinnier and smaller. Um, So I think that is a nice sort of thing to reflect on that, You've got, you know, this guy like Ronaldo coming back to to a place where there's, there's people that he'll know there, you know, and, and Lingard being one of them. So, yeah, I agree with you, Ian. I think Lingard was kind of excited at the prospects of, of trying to sort of play with him again. There was a brilliant quote, actually, from Lee Grant. That's not yeah. a sentence I've said before. Um, <laughs> where he was talking about just how much the first team were buzzing Andy about Ronaldo being around. He was sort of saying he was excited about the prospect that he could be training every day with Ronaldo, but some of the more established players were were even more exciting than him and that sort of gave him a sense of exactly what was about to happen at the club. I think that's genuine, as we saw from Jesse. Jesse was actually 24 when he put that picture up with um, Cristiano Ronaldo. (laughs) 24 centimetres. And... um, I think that the sentiments are genuine. I said last week that Nemanja Matic had paid to take his family to watch um, Cristiano Ronaldo play football. He will be remembered as one of the greatest, and a lot of people would say the greatest footballer ever. And you can't underestimate how much a lot of top, top pros really buzz off your Messi's and your Ronaldo. I spoke to one this week, Christian Pulisic, and he just said when he saw Messi, they both had to go into a, a random drug test. And he just said, I was a complete fanboy to them United lads. And I know the club felt that Cristiano coming back could really help the younger players. And you can see the logic in that. You could see it a year ago with Cavani. Ronaldo's another level. And he speaks English. And he's been to Manchester. I lived in Manchester before. So it stacks up in those ways. If, if Cristiano Ronaldo is on form, dispensing advice to people, then the benefits of that um, could, could, could be numerous. 
We're talking about contract situations there in relation to Lingard. And obviously there's a few now at Manchester United that perhaps need resolving. So I think the last question um, that we should sort of look at here, Laurie, is from Thiago, who sort of says, should United now be focusing on renewing players? And obviously he brings the Pogba situation up. That's probably the most pertinent one, isn't it? Yeah, Paul Pogba is the, the obvious one. It's the, it's the main one, really, that needs addressing. United have put a contract to him, um, as we reported. I think it was a number of months ago that, that that's been there. Pogba's, you know, sort of examining it. He, he's not. He doesn't have to respond to it necessarily. Um, I think he also wants to see how the season might play out. You know, I think the Ronaldo signing will have an impact. You know, if, if he's looking at that, thinking actually United are really making moves to you know, get back to winning titles. That's what he's looking at. And we'll see. I imagine he was always going to wait until after the transfer window had closed to kind of have a proper dialogue with the club because there wasn't really much imperative for him to to do so beforehand, you know, keeping his options open. You know, ultimately he is an employee. And I know that we have this idea that, you know, loyalty should be above everything else. But we've seen numerous cases throughout the years when even the most loyal players have, have, have examined what else is available to them um, just because it's it's their career, you know. Um, so, yeah, he was always going to wait until after the deadline had closed. I was told on Saturday, I asked, you know, does the Ronaldo situation have any impact on Pogba because you're in that sort of musical chairs that was going on in Europe. You had Mbappe potentially leaving PSG. You had um, Ronaldo obviously leaving Juventus. Would that open up something for Pogba going the other way? Um, But I was told absolutely not. You know, he was very much um, staying at United, uh, you know, that was just, you know, on the Saturday. So a number of days before the end of the window. Um, So yeah, but now the next step is can United get him to sign another contract? Um, It would make him the highest paid player at the club before Ronaldo came on board. Um, so I think he'd sort of sneak in between David De Gea and Ronaldo. But I imagine that United will look to sort of press ahead with those talks now that the window's over. But we'll see, you know, it's it's not going to be something that's um, resolved quickly, I don't think. You know, we can obviously talk to other clubs in January and and that will be a, a situation that Solskjaer would have to look at and study and, and work out what's best for the team at that moment. Okay, thank you everyone for your questions. As always, a reminder, look out for Carl and Laurie putting the posts on the real-time section of the Athletic app every week ahead of the podcast, usually on Sundays and Wednesdays. And Laurie, at this point, really, I think we need to address something as well. We had a lot of questions um, about the allegations against Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, after coming back to Old Trafford. Um, I think we need to probably address that. There's been an article that's been placed on the Athletic as well, just explaining it. Yeah, I think we need to acknowledge it because um, it is a part of the story. You know, he um, has, has come back to Manchester United and, and since he's been away, allegations surfaced, um, you know, very serious allegations over in America. And we've we've addressed that with a piece this week. Las Vegas police did reinvestigate, but then they concluded that there was no realistic possibility of, of conviction. Um, and But now it's been sort of pursued in the civil court. So it is, it is something that is still a live issue. You know, obviously United are well aware of it. Ronaldo's always denied the allegations. There's been extensive reporting on it. And the, the piece on The Athletic uh, this week hopefully addresses that just because it is a, an important issue to address. So plenty of great Manchester United writing on The Athletic again this week and some other bits on there as well. And I think we should address a few things, actually, because there's one question in particular which um, was about a subject that you are writing about currently, Laurie. I know you've got a piece coming out shortly that addresses this. Fagish was asking about the role 
of John Murtagh and Darren Fletcher in this summer transfer window and, and how this structure has sort of affected United's success in the window. How much of a role have they played? Yeah, I can understand where the question comes from because um, earlier this year, it was obviously trumpeted, wasn't it, that United had had a restructuring and that John Murtagh and Darren Fletcher would be the football director and the technical director. Um, I think it's still to be established exactly what their remit is uh, uh, sort of on each of those roles. And for sure, they're involved on a day-to-day basis. They've got a good relationship with Solskjaer and, and good dialogue. But when it comes to the sort of bigger picture, um, you know, Ed Woodward is still very much involved. I know he announced his resignation and that was there was some suggestion that maybe he would resign this summer, you know, and would leave the club. But actually, he's been very involved, as we know, with Jaden Sancho speaking to Borussia Dortmund, with Rafael Varane speaking to Real Madrid, and then also on the Cristiano Ronaldo uh, transfer. You know, we wrote a piece where we spoke about so Alex Ferguson's involvement, Rio Ferdinand's involvement, numerous other people, and we touched on Edward within that. Um, but there's actually a, a sort of role within that that he. Uh, it's come to light that, you know, he, he kind of performed that I wasn't aware of. It was basically getting Joel Glazer to agree to the deal on the financial terms because Joel Glazer, as we know, is across everything at Manchester United um, when it comes to the money. And, you know, for a big commitment such as Cristiano Ronaldo, I know the transfer fee isn't that great, but his wages are obviously significant. And if he stays for the full three years... I think it's it's something like £100 million in investment, something like that. So it's it's not an insignificant sum of money. Um, so Edward would have to do you know some calculations pretty quickly, looking at the commercial impact, looking at the sponsorships, looking at the uplift that they could get from deals being sold in future. And I know that if, for some United fans, that probably sounds um, you know distasteful and, and not what they want to be hearing, but it's ultimately the reality of the situation when you, you're at a club like Manchester United and, and the commercial revenue is such that that's what has helped them sort of be incubated really from the, the pandemic uh, so anyway you know he, he spoke with Joel Glazer and, and Joel Glazer ultimately understood that this was a deal that made financial sense as much as it made emotional and footballing sense so um, yeah but I, I think in terms of Murta and Fletcher they're still sort of establishing exactly what their roles are and, and how they work but when it comes to sort of the big meaty stuff you know it's Edward Wood because he's got that relationship over many years with Joel Glazer and also then Matt Judge um, who does the negotiations on contracts and transfer fees so hopefully that answers your question Vagish. Yeah keep an eye out for that article as well I'm sure there'll be lots of juicy information about the Ronaldo transfer and the role of deed of all the different people now in the transfer strategy for Manchester United. Uh, there's an interesting piece that Carl Anker's written as well, actually, about how the midfield might hold Manchester United back this season. We'll talk more about tactics and just how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer manages to fit the pieces together of this superstar attack on the pods next week ahead of the Newcastle game. But Andy, I want to talk to you as well about a piece that you're working on at the moment. Uh, you teased it before, Christian Pulisic. He, he's sort of the first... American superstar to break the Premier League, really, isn't he, in many ways? Yeah, I spoke to him last week at length and we've got a big exclusive interview with him in The Athletic. And these things don't happen by chance. I I first came across uh, Christian when he was 14 years old and a talented young player in the United States. And I think the odds on becoming uh, a professional in the UK are about one in 6,000. So for him to become the player that he's become... He's done well and he's obviously the captain of, of, of the US. And when we spoke, you know, I, I, I mainly do a lot of Man United stuff, but I do lots of other stuff as well. Although there's bits where I'd say, what do you remember about your debut for uh, Chelsea? Let me just check it. It was at Old Trafford and the score was, 
Manchester United, <laughs> one, two, three, four. Yeah, it was four. Chelsea, nil. <laughs> and he just, you know, he started twigging onto me a long time ago. Well, let's make a Manchester United link then, because we, I sort of teased it in the question, really, about him being the first American superstar, really, to sort of break Europe. Um, Landon Donovan had a great career here. Brian McBride as well. I suppose Tim Howard, you have to say as well, made a massive impact on English football. What's his legacy at Old Trafford for you, Andy? I think Tim was a decent keeper. He was a Premier League standard keeper. He was well-respected by his teammates. There were high hopes um, around 2000 for a player called Jovan Kirovsky, who also went to Dortmund. Yeah, Why yeah. did Americans go to Dortmund? It's a throwback to the Second World War. They can get visas. They can play in Germany, and that, that that's applied. The Manchester United women's team actually had a couple of American internationals that have made a big impact there, Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. But for some reason, I don't know, you, you imagine that United would have had a close eye on the US market as well. They've been there on pre-season tours enough, Laurie, haven't they? I wonder why they've never seemed to sort of find a young American player who could really make an impact. They've had people like Jonathan Spector as well who they try to, they try to sort of bring through. Um, it's not quite worked, has it? Yeah, I mean, Freddie Adu was the was sort of famous one, wasn't he? Where this kind of US prodigy um, and everyone was after him at 14, I think. And he came and had a trial at United, didn't he, uh, even? Um, and then his career kind of sort of drifted and didn't really um, hit the heights that I think people had expected. And I suppose that's the issue, isn't it? Like you can do all this research into finding players of that age, but ultimately you, you don't know how they're going to shake down. So actually let's keep are sort of search fairly local because, you know, that's what United are, are, tend to be about. Um, yeah, I'm sure tapping into the US market would be perhaps good for business, um, but it probably shouldn't be the, the overriding factor. Obviously, you know, United signed Dong Fang Zhu, didn't they, uh, under Ferguson and, and, you know, as a, as a Chinese player and, you know, he obviously wasn't really up to scratch. So um, I think you kind of have to go with the the, the quality and, and listen, maybe, maybe there are, you know, as, as, the sport gets bigger in the US, maybe that will start to become a, a genuine place where United can scout and get players from. I think Pulisic is probably the, the exception to the rule at the moment, right? It's not like he, um, it's not like they've got an abundance of, of talent coming through at the US. United's US history does trace back a, a long time though, Ian, you were saying. Yeah, apparently there was a guy called James Brown who made 44 appearances for Manchester United in the 1930s. So there's a fact I didn't know before today. One, two, get down. Okay, that's it then for Talk of the Devils on Thursday. Thank you to Andy and thank you to Laurie as well. And thank you guys at home for listening too. We'll be back on Monday with more Ronaldo chat, I'm sure. And a closer look at the tactics that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might be able to work out to try and fit all these players into the starting lineup for Manchester United. I hope one of them can play in defensive midfield. Anyway... We've talked a lot about transfers. We've talked a lot about the transfer window. So I think we should leave the podcast with this deep, deep thought from Mark. United have been chasing a strong and well-balanced squad of players for a long time. Do you think they'll ever fully achieve this? Does the pursuit of the perfect squad ever end? Or is it a panacea? Goodbye. The Athletic.